Today on Blue 58, as the NFL Combine turns along, it's a good time for us to take a moment and see where the Packers stand as they head into the real meat of the offseason. Where did the 2022 season leave them, and where are their biggest needs heading into 2023? Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Hope you are enjoying the NFL Combine so far. It's been entertaining to see the numbers come in. And it is a good reminder that um, testing numbers are a good opportunity to verify what you see in testing with stuff that's on the field and vice versa. If a guy can play well on the field, you have to ask yourself if the athleticism that he has is going to help him project into the NFL. But we will dive a little bit more into the NFL draft and all its assorted moving parts next week, and I'm really excited to do that. And getting excited about that has me excited about beginning the process of looking forward into 2023 because we've spent most of the time since the end of the season recapping what the Packers did, where they are, who did what, and why. Looking at everything in the organization from the top down. Brian Gutekunst, Matt LaFleur, Joe Barry, Aaron Rodgers, and through all the positions from there. And I kind of wanted to take a second, as we start to look at 2023, next week with the draft, to sit here for a second and say what what were these 2022 Packers? What did we really see there? And what does that mean for 2023? Now that we've looked at every position group, now that we've talked a little bit about almost every player on the roster, the guys who played something resembling meaningful snaps, what was this team? The 2022 Packers in total. I guess I have five thoughts, really. First, The phrase that comes to mind, if you had to boil it down to one thing for this team, I think it would just be less than the sum of their parts. And there's a lot of blame to go around there. But some of those parts were not really put in a position to succeed for a variety of reasons, and most of it, I think, was off the field. Position groups that obviously needed help as the the season wore on did not have the talent that they really needed to succeed. And the two groups that really come to mind the most are wide receiver and defensive line. Christian Watson ended up having a great season, but he needed help to move things along. Romeo Dobbs, I think, peaked at pretty good, fine to pretty good. I think uh, the level of expectations in training camp as a result of some of the things that he was doing on a, on a daily basis, were probably a little bit too high in the, the larger Packers community. Looking at this podcast, I think we had him pegged pretty well as to where he was going to perform this year. But he too, regardless of where your expectations were, needed some help to get integrated into the lineup. The Packers needed more at receiver, and they just didn't have it. And the same was true at defensive line. I think Jaron Reed as we talked about in the in the defensive line segment, probably gave you basically the full Jaron Reed experience. And that is probably not something that should be given 700 snaps. And yet that's where the Packers were in 2022. You can apply this same sort of assessment to a lot of different positions on the roster. But I think these two are pretty emblematic. The Packers needed more from these groups And the big reason they didn't get more 
was because they just didn't have the guys. They didn't have the talent at those positions. And I think that's a pretty big indictment of how the Packers have built their roster over the last couple of years. We've heard a lot of defense about the, for instance, 2020 draft class is building depth. Well, looking at the 2022 Packers, they still didn't have a lot of depth at some important spots. And the positions where they did have depth, it didn't seem to matter quite as much. Let's talk a little bit about those positions where they did have a little bit of depth, because this the flip side of the not having enough talent at positions is on a team where you did have talent at some positions, they underperformed. Let's look at the defensive back room. As a group, this position group is probably the most disappointing on the roster. Because if you look at the talent that they have, Jair Alexander, Rasul Douglas, Eric Stokes in his second year, Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, you should be able to put together a useful secondary group there. And by and large, over the course of the season, you didn't get there, I I don't think, with the secondary. Even if you think Darnell Savage isn't great, which I don't think anybody is banging the table for more snaps for Darnell Savage at this point. He still has useful attributes, I think. And he's, well, this may not be saying all that much, but he's probably one of your best three safeties on the roster. Between him and Rudy Ford, I guess is my point, you should be able to figure out something that they can do effectively enough, given that Adrian Amos is back there too. And even a reduced Adrian Amos was a useful player in 2022. Alexander, obviously very good. Rasul Douglas, obviously very good. And Eric Stokes should have been better in his second year. And it just never got there as a group. And given how well we saw these guys perform on an individual basis at times this year, some of them, I guess, in particular, it seems like you can't really point a finger anywhere other than coaching. How, and and I realize we're kind of making an argument from nothing here, because we don't have the calls. We don't really dive deep on the, the intricacies of the, the Packers secondary and what they should be doing and things like that. But I don't think it's out of line to say that the group should have been better. And I think this applies to a couple other positions too, namely offensive line early in the season. We'll talk about that in a second. But I think injury issues aside there, there were some coaching decisions that did not put the Packers in the best position to succeed. Again, falling under the overall umbrella of less than the sum of their parts, the 2022 Packers were just not quite there. They just did not get their best performances as a group because I think their coaching put them in situations where they were not able to do that. Thirdly, even if some position groups did underperform there were still some really good individual performances on the Packers this year, which I think should not go without a mention. On an individual basis, I think there were some really, really good performances from guys this year. Unfortunately, it didn't come together in a way that helped the Packers move the needle overall, but they still performed pretty well. Sticking with the defensive back examples, I think on balance, Jair Alexander and Rasul Douglas had really pretty good 2022 seasons, but they individually were not able to hold up the secondary by themselves. 
And I think that, too, is an indictment on coaching. If you've got these guys that are still playing at a high level, even in maybe down seasons by their standards, and you can't figure out a way to build the rest of your secondary around that, that seems like a problem. Rashawn Gary, obviously a great season until he got hurt. And we'll talk about injuries in our next point here. Uh, Christian Watson, a great season, but again, not enough support elsewhere. You can pick out strong individual seasons, and the Packers just weren't able to build on them. Let's talk about injuries then for a second. Because injuries happened to everyone, obviously, but the injuries still mattered a lot to the Packers in 2022. And I don't think that is something that you can really take out of their story. Even if it is something that affects every team in the NFL, it did affect the Packers a lot too. And I think that deserves a mention. And the ways in which it impacted them are important. The offensive line being not 100% coming into the season probably cost them at least one game. If you have week 8, week 9, week 10 version of David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins in week one, week two, week three. I feel a lot better about the Packers at that point. Maybe it's weeks one, two, and three are probably not good examples because the Packers still, you know, they ended up doing pretty well in those those early weeks uh, from a win-loss perspective. Maybe it's like weeks four through seven or whatever. You see my point, though. If, if, if they had a fully healthy offensive line, it's hard to think they don't steal at least one more of those games that they really needed early in the season, and they just were not able to do it because their offensive line was not in good enough shape. And I don't know whose fault that is, really, because from a health aspect, there's not really much more you could have done. You could have put Zach Tom out there a little bit earlier. You could have tried some more aggressive things, moving some guys around into some different positions, and they just did not do that. But from a health perspective, you couldn't have done a whole lot more. And it's a bummer that something that happened on December 31st, 2020, was still affecting the Packers at the start of the 2022 season. Uh, Speaking of David Bakhtiari's injury, of course, but them's the breaks. The edge group was kind of the inverse of the offensive line. They were really pretty solid at the start, but once Rashawn Gary got hurt, they took a bit of a dive. And I don't know what else you would expect, but I just want to point out that it's too bad that we didn't get to see the edge rusher group with a, I guess, activated Kingsley in Igbari. If you would have gotten to see uh, the Packers with Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith and a kind of true, he's found his feet now, third edge rusher in, in Igbari, you might have something there. And hopefully we get to see that at some point in 2023, maybe with a, a more interesting fourth edge rusher in there too, if we really get our, our wish list in there. Uh, but we didn't get to see this group really come together because the injuries just rocked them there. Really inopportune time for Rashawn Gary to, to tear his ACL if there's ever an opportune time to do something like that. But even, you know, even acknowledging that this is something that happens to everybody, it still affected the Packers in some pretty profound ways. Finally, the fifth thing is just Aaron Rodgers. We have spent a lot of time talking about Aaron Rodgers in different ways, in big ways, in small ways. But as kind of reflecting finally on the 2022 season, it kind of comes down to him, doesn't it? But does it really? Because obviously he was not great in 2022, but I don't, even now, it's early March. We've spent a lot of time looking at this season I'm not entirely sure how much was his fault. I don't 
know if he declined as much as people want to say that he did. I don't know if he really played as badly as some people want to make it out to seem. I still think it's fair to say that he didn't play as well in 2022 as he did the previous two years, obviously, even aside from the injury. But here's something I've been coming back to as we've thought, as I've thought more and more about the 2022 Packers. How good would Aaron Rodgers have had to be for the Packers to really be contenders this year? Would he have had to be 2020 good, 2014 good, 2011 good? And say that he was, how much would it have mattered if Aaron Rodgers was at his career best in 2022, how much would it have ultimately moved the needle for the 2022 Packers? Does Aaron Rodgers playing at, just to pick a year, 2020 level, really matter when the rest of the offense is still coming along? Even if you've got Aaron Rodgers operating at his MVP caliber best in the early portions of 2022, Does it matter if the offensive line is still in rough shape? Does it matter if your receiving core is still not where it needs to be? Put it a different way. Can he even get to that level throwing meaningful passes to Sammy Watkins? And even if he is playing super duper well, does the defense play well enough for that to matter? If he's playing at an MVP level, could you still have gone on a run with the 2022 Green Bay Packers defense? I am inclined to say no, and I'm inclined to to wonder if they could have really, really gotten Aaron Rodgers to that level with the support system they had around him in, in 2022. It kind of throws into into question why you would re-sign him again anyway if this is what you're going to try to put around him. Because if he can't get to that level that you need him to be to approach being a contender, and even if he does, how much of a contender are you going to be? Well, what are we doing here anyway? And I think that is going to be one of the lasting questions about the 2022 Packers season. So that all having been said, where are the Packers now? Let's set a course a little bit for the offseason here, recognizing that the offseason is pretty much well underway at this point. The Packers have made some moves with their roster. They've shored up a couple of things, you know, bring back Aaron Jones, restructuring a whole bunch of contracts. Where are they headed? What do they need to do this offseason? Some thoughts. Let's begin with Aaron Rodgers, since that's where we left off with the 2022 discussion. I don't know what is likely at this point. Obviously, we don't know what Aaron Rodgers is thinking. But I think at this point, my preference would be that he's traded. He may give you a better chance to win in 2023, but at some point, you need to make something of a strategic withdrawal. And I don't think the Packers are looking at being real contenders in 2023. Even if they are, which doesn't seem super likely, I think I'm just ready to look more at what's ahead instead of at what's behind. Because... Even if Aaron Rodgers is MVP caliber Aaron Rodgers in 2023, I think it's much the same as 2022. I don't know if the rest of the Packers roster is ready to be there with him. And I'm not sure how much it matters that Aaron Rodgers plays at an MVP level in 2023 
if the rest of the roster can't play at a championship contender type level. So if you can get something for Aaron Rodgers, I think, go ahead and do so. Because the second point here is that I think we need to see it with Jordan Love. Even if you don't pick up his fifth-year option, you still have some team control. You could always franchise tag him for 2020-whatever. Let's at least see it. Let's see what he's going to do. Let's see what he does and, and what he looks like. I'm not super on the, well, we just need to be patient with him and see how things go sort of train. Rob Domovsky wrote a big, long article about that the other day for ESPN, which is probably true. You need some aspect of patience with Jordan Love. But the level of patience you can afford to have is very, very small. And I don't think that we're in a situation in the NFL anymore where you really can sit down and be like, well, we're going to give him a lot of time to develop here and really try to look look down every avenue and blah, 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 because I just don't think guys are capable of developing that way anymore, given where we are with you know, off-season structures and in-season practices and things like that. I think to the extent that Jordan Love is going to be a starter, he's starter or starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. He's probably pretty close to there already. And anything that is going to come as a result of future development is just going to be, it's going to come from playing and come from seeing it on the field and things like that. So let's see it. Let's get a season's worth of playing from him. And if he's great, awesome. The Packers will probably be in good shape for 2024. If he's not, well, the Packers will probably be in a position to draft somebody else for 2024. So win-win, I guess. As far as needs the Packers have, looking at their roster, I think we've got five in sort of descending order of preference. And this is just some, you know, back of an envelope sort of math, kind of writing this down. As I look at the roster, I think you start with the safety position. Because looking at where the Packers are right now, you probably need two. We talked a little bit about switching Rasul Douglas to safety, seeing what he can do there. I'm still open to that idea, but you probably need a true sort of, you know, cover two free safety type, because I don't know if Rasul Douglas is going to be exclusively that. And you need probably a nickel corner slash hybrid safety type, basically Darnell Savage. And having a, a guy who could do a little bit of both, obviously, would never never go amiss or some sort of movable chess piece in your secondary. Packers just need talent. And if you look at their, their secondary, safety is where they need the most. And out of all their needs on defense, it's probably the biggest one right now. Defensive line, second. Not too far behind. Uh, not too, too far behind safety, but... We talked about at length how the Packers need more talent on their defensive line. You need another difference maker there for sure, and you might need another starter, depending what you want to do with TJ Slayton and Kenny Clark and Devontae Wyatt. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing a starting defensive line of TJ Slayton as your nose tackle and then Clark and Wyatt as your ends. I think that might be the best route to go with Kenny Clark moving forward, but I don't know if the Packers think that way, because given what we saw from TJ Slayton in 2022, it looks like they think of him primarily as a backup nose tackle, or maybe exclusively as a backup nose tackle. Switching over to offense, I think your third priority is probably tight end, because the Packers currently have essentially nothing at that position, depending what you think of Josiah DeGora. 
they really just need anything here. And whether that's in free agency or the draft, and we'll talk about that in a second, you got to add some talent here at some point and probably fairly early. Then the last two needs, I think, are wide receiver and offensive line. Wide receiver, you need one guy who could push to be in your top four at the start of the season and then push to be in your top two or three by the end of the year. The Packers made a big mistake from essentially when Devontae Adams was drafted until 2022, not adding aggressively to their wide receiver room. And it probably cost them a trip to the Super Bowl in both 2020 and 2021. Are the Packers trying to force the ball to Devontae Adams exclusively in the red zone in 2020 if they have literally any other receiver who can produce in that area of the field? Probably not. Are the Packers heaving deep balls to Devontae Adams against a, a team, admittedly, that was pretty weak against against deep passing in the 2021 playoffs if they have any other receiver healthy other than Alan Lazard? Again, I think probably not. The Packers need to avoid making that mistake again and have to consistently add to their wide receiver room. And then offensive line, it's never a bad idea to be adding more offensive linemen. Please continue to do that. It is just a smart thing to do. It's going to help your team be better. Of those five, I think you address them this way. Safety, defensive line, and offensive line, I think are draft-only areas. I'm really skeptical of the ability to sign a guy who'd be as good as they need him to be. Just look again at Jaron Reed. He's the sort of defensive lineman who's going to be available unless you're willing to spend an absolute mint on defensive linemen. That's probably what you're going to get in free agency. And considering that Darnell Savage is technically still around, you're probably not looking to spend all that much at safety anyway. At offensive line, there's really no reason to sign somebody. So of those three, you're probably looking at the draft for all of them. And if you could get a little bit of extra draft capital, that would help you address those in a meaningful way. As far as the other line, or as far as the other needs, tight end and wide receiver, I think you could probably get away with a combo of draft and free agency. I don't know if you've got to go high to draft a tight end. I would probably prefer that they don't actually. But I think you can probably sign a guy who's comparable to, say, a Robert Tunyon in free agency. Somebody who's got, you know, good athletic testing numbers, maybe a limited use sort of situation, but probably primarily receiver. I think you can probably find somebody along those lines in free agency. And given how Matt LaFleur has used his tight ends in Green Bay, the role is going to be fairly simple and straightforward. So you don't have to find somebody who's just a world beater at tight end. You can get away with a guy who's got, again, maybe some tools, but potentially limited use case. So find a guy like that, plug him into your offense, and then maybe draft a tight end and see where you go from there. Wide receiver, I would be, I think you should at least try to bring in a body. I'm not super thrilled about the wide receiver class, but I think you could at least try the Sammy Watkins experiment again, not with Sammy Watkins, obviously, but get at least one guy who has some kind of existing NFL experience. Heck, get two if you're going to sign him to a Sammy Watkins-type deal. Get a couple. Get creative with your with your contracts. Maybe, again, sign some athletic dudes and see what happens. See what shakes loose. Find a guy who's at least played NFL football before, who can run fast, and maybe that's all. 
and then add it to your room. Just try to throw some resources at a position group that has been lacking in terms of depth there for a while. That's all I've got, really looking at the offseason ahead. We'll kind of shake around on the rest of the stuff as it um, as it develops, because we're it's I'm recording on Friday, March 3rd right now. It's 7 o'clock in the morning or so. We'll see about free agency and, and everything else that, that happens as we go. And as we start to look at the rest of the, the draft class and see where that is shaping up, we'll get a better idea of maybe what the Packers should do there as well. I did want to mention one last thing before we let you go for this episode. I would encourage you, if you haven't, to check out thepowersweep.com and look at our weekly write-ups of When Pride Still Mattered. We are taking the Blue 58 Book Club year-round now. We're going to try to do this continually, uh, just looking either chapter by chapter or book by book at stuff throughout the year, trying to give you more stuff to think about as you maybe round out your Packers library a little bit. I wanted to mention stuff like this from time to time on the podcast, and now feels like a pretty good time because we are through seven chapters of our first book of this new year-round approach. Uh, we are reading David Moranis's When Pride Still Mattered. That seemed like a really good starting place as we try to level up our book club experience. Um, I've, I had read this book before, but going chapter by chapter through it again, it's interesting to see what stands out. It gives you a chance when you reread books to focus on different things because I'm much older now than the first time I read When Pride Still Mattered, probably 15 years ago at least. Seeing Vince Lombardi as a family man is an interesting experience because I think as we look at him as as Packers fans, obviously what we see is him stalking up and down the sideline, but looking at him in the book, you see a lot more of his behind-the-scenes stuff and, and how he interacted with his family. And honestly, it doesn't reflect super well on Vince Lombardi as a person. It just shows that he is a flawed person like all of the rest of us and that he's got some things he needs to work on or had some things he needed to work on too. Uh, you see that the the Vince Lombardi quote about the priorities being faith, family, football may have not shaken out in that order in his own personal life. In fact, it was probably football and then faith because you could do the faith on the way to football in the morning. Uh, and then family, at least when you see him, I guess, from time to time. And it may not be all that pleasant when you do see them because you're probably thinking about football while you do. It's also interesting, and you could really pull this thread out as you look through the book, it's, it's interesting to see Lombardi become Vince Lombardi. Because again, when we look at him as Packers fans, if you just focus on 1959 through 1968, you're seeing essentially finished product Vince Lombardi. But looking at him from a bio, bio, biographical perspective, not a biological perspective, a biographical perspective, you can see him iterating over the course of his life. You see him as a student. Well, maybe he wants to be a priest. Well, maybe he wants to be a lawyer. Well, maybe he just wants to be a college football player, so off he goes to Fordham. And then it turns out that, well, he might be a little bit too small to be a real effective college football player, so he's just going to be a scrappy, the scrappiest and seventh of the seven blocks of granite. So what does he do from there? Well, he gets his degree, and then he goes off and does the only thing that he can think of to do, and he becomes a high school football coach. And it turns out that coaching football is pretty great, so then he becomes a college football coach. And he learns pretty quickly that being a college football coach is 
is a pretty interesting gig because you've got a lot of moving parts in it, and there's a lot of different challenges that go into being a college football coach. And then he becomes a big-time college football coach, moving to Army or West Point. And then he becomes a professional coach. And then he becomes a professional head coach. It's a good reminder, as you look at all of these things, that your own story may not be over, no matter where in it you are. That comes through in a big way when uh, Moranis writes about Lombardi's return to Fordham as a coach. Because in his in the geography of college football at the time, Fordham was a big deal when Lombardi was there as a player. And in the intervening years after he left and then come back, they had kind of come down in the world a little bit. And there were competing interests within Fordham that were saying, well, maybe we should try to be a big-time college football program again and see what we can really do. And other parts of Fordham were like, maybe we don't want to do football at all. And Lombardi kind of got caught up between those two things, and it ended up being a really disappointing, disillusioning point in his life. I was just really captivated by that chapter, that disappointment that he dealt with, trying to do something and then it just not being the right circumstance where he was able to do it for a variety of reasons. I have also, as we've gone through this book and and I've written about it, uh, love tracking down historical locations on Google Maps. We've used that to point out where uh, his childhood home was, the place where he moved to after that. Uh, we found Marie Lombardi's uh, college apartment on there. Uh, and huge props to David Moranis for including actual addresses of actual places uh, in in the book. It, it's been pretty cool to track those things down and, and add a little bit of that to our, our write-ups. And finally, I've loved seeing him cross paths with other noteworthy people in the football world. They have taken pains in the book to explain that while he was classmates with Wellington Mara of the New York Giants and the family that owned the New York Giants uh, at Fordham, they did not cross paths a lot, but you can still see how it ended up affecting his overall career, that they at least knew of each other while they were together in college. You can see that he coached against Joe Paterno while he was at St. Cecilia's coaching his high school football team. And he actually took Sid Gilman's place at Army. So Sid Gilman was the offensive line coach for, for West Point. He moves on and gets his own gig at Cincinnati and goes on to a Hall of Fame coaching career of his own in college and in professional football. Vince Lombardi took his place, two Hall of Fame ships passing in the night. And uh, that's not the only example of stuff like that tons and tons of historical information about where guys were at the time, how Vince Lombardi may have interacted with them. Highly recommend you check out the book if you haven't already. And if you're looking at a place to get into it, why not follow along with us as we read through When Pride Still Mattered together. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.